proceed no further in this business. Was the hope drunk wherein you dressed yourself? Has it slept since? And wakes it now to look so green and pale at what it did so freely? Privy peace. I dare do all that may become a man. Who dares do more is none. What beast was it then that make you break this enterprise to me? And when you durst do it, then you were a man. If we should fail. We fail. But screw your courage to the sticking place, and will not fail. Hello and welcome to the Scottish Film, a podcast that is not about Scottish films. Although nearly this time. Uh, I'm Paul Salt. <laughs> and I'm Katie Maida. Uh, we were due to be covering Shakespeare Must Die, the controversial Thailand adaptation that the Thai authorities banned for criticising the state. Which I was so looking forward to. Yeah, I was looking forward to, to, to it as well. It seems like that ban was very successful because we couldn't find it anywhere. If you have it, please let us know. I'm beginning to suspect that maybe no one has it. I think it was screened a couple of times in festivals, but never given a wide release because of aforementioned state control. That which sounds no. that is a shame. Damn it, state control. God damn it, state control. When are you going to do something good? I guess we don't know how much terrible satire has been oppressed by fascist regimes over the generations. Like really dreadful kind of student art. That's true. There could be so much. <laughs> yeah, it's like a warehouse somewhere. <laughs> Government censorship. A mixed blessing. I did, however, find that there is an adaptation of Macbeth from 2018 that was shot entirely on green screen. So we've got that on the roster, and I think it's going to be our last episode now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for now. For now. Um, but for now, we are moving on to Australian director Justin Kurzel's 2015 adaptation of Macbeth. I'll proceed no further in this business. Was the hope drunk wherein you dressed yourself? Have it slept since, and wakes it now to look so green and pain at what it is so freely. Crinthy peace. I dare do all that may become a man. Who dares do more is none. What beast was there that made you break this enterprise to me? When you dare do it, then you were a man. If we should fail. We fail. Screw your courage to this digging place. And will not fail. Yay! Woo! There is so much to say about this film stylistically, so let's go straight into his hour upon the stage. How did we find the film? Oh, it was great. Yeah. It was really good. It was it's so, like, beautiful, beautiful and creepy. And, like, it's almost like a horror, but it's not. And it's actually in Scotland. Yes, very appreciated. With people doing Scottish accents. Yep. Apart from Lady Macbeth, yeah, which from we'll her. get to. <laughs> um, and it's creepy. Yeah, it's creepy. And mm. um, it's kind of sexy in parts. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and it's bloody. And yeah. I bet the team watched a lot of adaptations of Macbeth and kind of thought about all the elements that they wanted to bring in from them because there's, yeah. it's almost like they've got like creepiness from this film and like the bloodiness from tragedy yeah and, like the sexiness from this so like they've they've kind of took everything that they can and, and then made it into their own as yeah, well so absolutely it's it's i mean the way in which it is entirely its own is into how it has adapted uh, shakespeare which we'll come to but my god just the way it looks it's just gorgeous it's, gorgeous. it's bleak mm. but also provocatively rich uh the cinematographer here is adam arkapor 
who did a, who defined the look of True Detective season one, the best True Detective, the best oh, and only True gorgeous. Detective. <laughs> Actually, the third one was good. No, third the third one, one was great. One was great. Yeah, Come that's on. fair enough. But that first let's one... just not talk about season three. <laughs> let's never talk about anything involving Vince Vaughn. But yeah, the way he uses light recalls like Emmanuel Lebeski. It's just this gorgeous kind of. Oh, I mean, you've got handheld camera work sometimes, very locked down in others. Um, you've got these big slow motion battle scenes. It's very stylized in places. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and very natural. You got a lot in others. of um, you got a lot of um, cutting back to those slow motion scenes as well, yep. like people remembering. So, like, you have a lot of memories in terms of Macbeth, especially when yeah. he's thinking about them, and it cuts back to those slow motion battle scenes. So it's almost like you know, like the horror of being in in war. Yeah. Absolutely. It's still following him around. Absolutely. And there's there's cross-cutting between action sometimes. You've got simultaneous action, which, of course, is not written into the play because you can't do simultaneous action very easily on stage. And I don't think Shakespeare did very often. I'm, I'm probably wrong in that. Do you ever have, like, one action coming out in one part of the stage intercut with action on another? Not intercut, but, yeah. like... Yeah, there are some. Okay. So um, a good example would be Midsummer Night's Dream. I thought they might be in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, where, you know, there's the kind of fairies doing something to the characters that are acting out what the fairies want them to. Yeah. But yeah, not often like battle action. Sure. More like, yeah. Well, here, one of the more provo- um, uh, the best moments for me was when we're cutting between Macbeth having his despairing moment and Lady Macbeth returning the daggers. And we're sort of moving between the two and... You know, they're individual action, but they complement each other. And like you say, we then have flashbacks and flash forwards and prophecies, which just adds a, a, a much needed cinematic feel to this adaptation. Yes. And in terms of cinematic feel as well, mm. we have soliloquies being yep. talked to a person. So Macbeth's first soliloquy, he's talking to like a dead soldier. Quite a few of the soliloquies so... now play out as conversations. And it yes. just, it, it does such wonderful things, I think, to... Mm to those soliloquies it gives them whole new meanings um which is just brilliant and we'll come to a few of those in a moment um in terms of the aesthetic you've got really interesting stuff it's like a a really medieval feeling scotland maybe even older some of it feels ancient like Macbeth's castle or estate is a camp of tents that feels kind of mongolian yes it's so he yeah yeah. He's got like a, a fancy tent. And yeah. He just has like regular tents. Yeah. Um, but there is a castle. There is, yeah. So when he becomes king, he goes to the castle. And so again, that feeds into the motivation of him wanting to become king. Yeah. Because he goes from literally living like <laughs> in a tent. Yeah. It's, just... it's a fancy tent. Yeah. It's like a bell tent, you know, one of those white ones. Yeah. But um, it that also it quite um reminded me a bit of Midsommar. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, with the yeah. tents in the field. So that kind of horror element of like... I think medieval impressions of Scotland do often tie into sort of Scandinavian traditions as well, um, because of yeah. sort of various invasions and such. So yeah, there's definitely stuff in common there. In terms of the more um, sumptuous stuff, when he becomes royalty, everything looks kind of bronze. You've got these different elements of brown and gold, and the items of royalty, these uh, royal sword and crown, are gorgeous i don't know how to describe the sword it's these white kind of ivory looking bits of rock kind of tethered together into a circlet and it's just yeah and the, the crown is made out of ivory too isn't it's, it? uh, yeah so it's it looks like of... ivory and the hilt of the and sword i think is. that that it makes it more like medieval yeah as well because you have some crowns that are like mm. almost too modern yeah yeah absolutely the, this this yeah felt like a sort of tribal thing that 
this is the leader of this particular tribe of people. And that just felt, yeah, very primal. Yeah. Also, really great performances. We won't talk about Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, but some of the other ones in general were, even if they hadn't been Shakespeare, they still would have been great performances. Yeah, we've got Paddy Considine as Banquo. He's fantastic. I love love Paddy Considine, and he's a great Banquo. I love him so much. He's got his big big beard, and he's a good dad, and he's just a a likable guy, and you just hope that what you know is going to happen to Banquo doesn't happen. He's like, I was like, oh my god, it's Paddy Constantine. He's, he's, like, he's, yeah, he's just such a likable guy. Yes, and unless he's just a big bear, a gentle bear, you know. And he has a really nice relationship with her son, which yeah. is my favourite thing about Banquo, when they play it like a good dad. Yeah. I love that. And he's like hugging his yep. son, he's riding on the horse with him. And he, one of his soliloquies is directed to her son as Yes, well, which has some which I loved. interesting implications as a result of that. Um, yes. We also have Sean Harris as Scary Macduff. Sean Harris has played the scary guy in all of the things you've watched. Um, his I, biggest thing, I think, is Mission Impossible. He was in the fifth yeah. and sixth ones. But he was in Possum. And I got to speak to the director of Possum. Oh, yeah. And according to him, um, Sean Harris is just a bit scary, but like in a way that's really good on screen. Nice. <laughs> so we've got Scary Macduff. We've got Elizabeth Debicki, who is somewhat underused as Lady Macduff. We don't have any of her scene her scene that she normally gets. Her one scene. Yeah. She has one... Well, she has one scene in this. Yeah, she does. And it's... um, Yeah, she gets to be around and beautiful and, you know... Terrific. She, to be honest, to Becky, she wasn't big yet. You know, this was before The Man From U.N.C.L.E. It was before Widows and before Tenet, as we saw. So, yeah, we don't... We don't... um, We didn't know much about Becky then, but she's good as this sort of glacial beauty. I think you were missing the one big thing that she was in, and that was Gossip Girl. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's clearly clearly the main thing for no, her she's only in like a couple of episodes but she's great in that. she is great i always remember anyway. oh fuck who was it who was um who told me that uh they were watching it with their mum and um, as soon as the becky came on um his very scottish mum just said she's some height on her hasn't she which i love <laughs> <laughs> um david foolis as malcolm he's not no you don't mean malcolm do you no, I don't. I mean Duncan. Yes. Sorry. Duncan. Yes, Duncan, the king. He is, um, what's the, na- the character name in Harry Potter? Lupin. Lupin. What? Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. The guy who played Lupin. Lupin. And, Remus Lupin. And David yeah. Lupin. Uh, David Lupin. David Foolis is just a fantastic actor from sort of British cinema. Um, I love Foolis. He uh he does he does likable very well in he does. this, but also it's just in everything in general. Well, he can be a shit as well, which I really like. In- no, I didn't. I didn't believe him as the villain. <laughs> you know, I think we, um in um what is it? Well, he's the villain. Is that is one of the one of the Marvels? Oh, I don't know. He was. Oh no, it's um uh, Wonder Woman. Oh right? yeah, he was the villain in Wonder Woman. That's right. That was. Didn't believe it. Because I see him as Lupin, and I just love Aww. him so much. You need to watch Fargo season three. He's terrifying. All right, let me just skip two <laughs> seasons of Fargo. Yeah, well, it's not story related. It's like True Detective, so you're legitimately good, but it's terrifying. Fair enough. I've seen the movie. <laughs> um, and he was also apparently quite rough in Naked, but I still haven't seen it because it's Mike Lee as Grimmest, and I can't take Mike Lee as happiest most of the time. Mike Lee is happiest <laughs> as Happy Go Lucky, and that is a tough movie to watch sometimes. Um, uh, and then finally, yes, Jack Rayner as Malcolm. Uh, to complete the Midsommar connection, we have um, Sing Street star Jack Rayner as the sort of young, uh, soon-to-be king. We'll come to that as well. Yes. Um, right, anything else to say about the style? There's The battle at the beginning is brutal and focuses on how young all of the combatants are. Yes. And in fact, young people are like the focus of this movie. We keep seeing kids and how young everyone is, and it's yeah important for the One female, of the witches is a kid. Yep, and has another is holding a baby. 
There's yeah, children and... are very present in this film. Yes, especially one. We'll get to him. Yeah. Well, there's one boy who becomes yes. kind of representative of Macbeth's trauma. He's um. Oh, yes. A mosquito. Uh, he is in the opening battle. Macbeth, you know, is preparing him for battle to the ex- um, extent that he is tying a sword to his hand. That is, you know, the extent to which he is arming this boy to go into battle and he puts the face paint on. So Macbeth kind of feels this guilt, this kind yeah, of... Yeah, because the boy... he has caused this boy's death. Yes, because he saves the boy once. He, we see him pulling him up, but then another time we see the boy getting his throat cut and Macbeth couldn't save him. So he represents all of the people he has failed and the boy shows up several times, which again, we'll talk about. We should also ghosts. talk about mm. the element of grief in this film. And we'll get to yeah. that more when it comes to Lady Macbeth. But can I just mention the colouring? Yeah. So at the beginning, Lady Macbeth's dressed in black. Mm. And then she becomes queen dressed in white. Yeah. And then everything starts to go wrong again. She goes back to black. Yeah. So I think there's a... Like, everything was thought about in this film. Yeah. Like, her hair is tied up in this really intricate plait. It is, yeah. When she's, like... When she's together and then she starts to go crazy. Yeah. It starts to And it to goes down apart. again. Yeah. Which is something that's actually happened a couple of times with Lady of Birth. Mm. So it's... it's Everything, every single element was thought about in this movie. Absolutely. And grief in particular, I think the director said that what he wanted to do was have the idea that ambition is replacing grief. Like they're trying to do this thing because they just cannot stand what they've lost. Because in this version, we start with the dead son's funeral. Yes, that is. I mean, that kind of ties us into the next segment. It does. Yeah. So should we talk about that? Well, let me just see. Um, some interesting moments of violence. Um, the leader of the enemy army, who... I, I get confused with the opening battle because he's not Cordor. Cordor was killed later. Um, there is an enemy army who um, has a head, so to speak, that gets cut off by Macbeth. <laughs> and then Cordor is murdered by arrow execution in a really grim yes, sequence. Yes, in this one he yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, very grim. But we didn't get to see the arrow go in and I was sad. Yeah, we cut. <laughs> we cut I was the like, arrow. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this was a movie for grown-ups. Um, <laughs> I was here for the arrows. I'm here for people getting shot with arrows. We get to see Banquo get shot with a, I think, crossbow bolt, it kind of looks like. It kind of goes into his shoulder. Mm. Um, finally, in terms of stylistically, I just want to talk about the redness, because oh my God, as the, the movie there. goes on, they set fire to Burnham Wood, and suddenly the whole landscape becomes this blood-red f- inferno. Yes. You know, the the line, you know, turn, hellhound never had greater meaning than here because it does just look like this hellscape with Macbeth as its sort of demented yeah. leader at first, but then just a sort of wanderer in this um, hellish space. I mean, and also because it represents blood mm. and the way that there's been so much blood that he is literally covered in it. Yeah, he has the line later on, I'm steeped too high, my spirit is steeped too high in your family's blood already, you know, when he's talking to Macduff. So yeah, yeah. there's definitely that vibe. Um, I will say, lastly, on the style, I resent Care Mode referring to this as a post-Braveheart Macbeth. It's 20 years post-Braveheart, and I don't think the visual comparison is very accurate. We've had a couple of other Macbeths that are yeah, post-Braveheart that, here. Yeah, that are more Braveheart than this. This is this is a whole new thing. Other things are post-Macbeth now. <laughs> I think Macbeth influenced Game of Thrones. Like, if you watch the Sapotnich bat- battle sequences, Sapotnik... I think there's some uh, cribbing of notes yeah, going def- on. There's some definite, like, you know, the, the battle scene. The long uh, night with thing. Them. Yeah, yeah, it's just where they're coming towards each other and there's slow motion and mm. you're cutting from one place to the other and you're cutting, like, yeah. from battle scenes to faces to yeah. the whole landscape to individuals yeah. to 
swords to everything. It's like you're kind of getting a whole battle in like <laughs> 10 seconds. Yeah, it was an incredible sequence, the opening fight and the final one. It just great bookends of action for all the people who sort of hated the language. But let's get to that. <laughs> so, foul is fair and fair is foul. It's all in Shakespearean language. <laughs> It is all in Shakespearean language, there are a couple of differences. For example, the opening scene, Mm. which we touched on just then. So I loved this opening scene. Yeah. The opening scene is Macbeth and Lady Macbeth and some other various like townspeople. Yeah. Um saying goodbye to their dead baby. So their baby has died in in, you know, like cradle death. Mm. And they do they burn the body? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they burn burn the body. So they're cremating a child and she is dressed in black and he is dressed in black yeah. and everyone's very sad. So you literally starting the movie with grief. Yeah. And then the witches see this happening. They do. And that's when you get the first first actual scene. Yeah. Which is there, you know, when shall we meet again? Yeah. So it's almost like they're seeing it and they're like, that gives them the kind of agency of, okay, we need to do something for Macbeth. I don't know. It's it's odd. The witch motivation, because they are so... We'll get to this when we talk about witches, but they are so kind of sad in this one. Almost not really spurring on, but just sort of grimly prophesizing to the, to the extent that they're almost, I don't know, talking about things as if they were inevitable. You know, they don't feel like conniving tricksy witches this time. They just feel like no. the sort of faces of fate. They're just a representation of fate. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, just a word on the Shakespearean language. Um, we have very... Yeah, we have the Shakespearean language with very creative editing in order to create new sequences when needed. Um, yes, I was going to say something on that. Yeah, we'll, we'll come to a few of them as we go through because I've got a bit of a run through of some of these sequences. But my God, is it clever when sometimes when they need to change meaning. It's just, it really is very, this is how you make an adaptation. You know, they had an idea. Let's make this a movie about trauma, about grief and about the stress, the, the post-traumatic stress that... Um, Macbeth is experiencing and that Lady Macbeth is experiencing as a result of um, losing a child and let's make this play about that and yeah they just did what they needed to they took what they needed from their environment from the script and made of it something extraordinary yes so this is I mean it's not word for word but it's, it's very close and there are as you say, cuttings and a couple of addings. Yeah, where they yeah. add like a word here and there. Yeah, but nothing like so off script that it's like. Yeah, you're like, hang on a second, that's a made up scene or something. Yeah, it's definitely still Macbeth, but it's a new understanding and appreciation of Macbeth. And there's also some really awesome overlays of script. So, for mm. example, uh-huh. when Lady Macbeth gets the letter, uh-huh. we've talked about before how it, how like the timing doesn't make sense. Yes, so she like has the letter and then Macbeth turns up like suddenly. Yeah. However, in this one, it makes a little bit more sense because yeah. she has the whole box that has like the cord or robe thing in it. Yeah. So we had a scene that had that in. And then the messenger goes, and then we have another scene with Macbeth in. So it makes sense that the messenger would get there before Macbeth did. Yes. Because we see the messenger go, and it's just those little things that they add in, be like, maybe somebody actually thought, yeah. oh, this doesn't make that much sense because, like, the timing doesn't work, so let's have a messenger, like, ride off, so it makes sense that he gets there before Macbeth. Absolutely. They tidied that whole sequence, because in the play, Macbeth is on the heath, he gets his prophecies, then he goes, sees the um, Duncan, gets told that he's now, you know... Get- really doesn't get told anything new 
except that there is now someone between him and the crown. Then he sends a messenger ahead of him whilst he rides ahead of Duncan. And it's just a bit crazy. In this, Macbeth is has a messenger who tells him the news that he is now the Fane of Cawdor. He sends yes. a messenger ahead and then rides alone. He doesn't meet with Duncan yet. He doesn't meet Duncan until Duncan arrives at the camp, you know, at the castle. And that just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes so much more sense. And then they have the dialogue that they would have had earlier. And it just... It makes sense also because this way, all of Macbeth's sequences in which he's with Duncan are of him scheming to kill him. He's already got the idea in his head the, the first time we see the two of them together, and it adds a sort of tension to those sequences. Yeah, I would say that the, the language could be tricky to follow because they're delivering it very naturalistically. This supernatural soliciting cannot be ill, cannot be good. This isn't Shakespearean sort of, you know, come thither. You know, it, it's very... <laughs> It's very sort of Terence Come Malick. Come thither. What the heck is thither? Thither. <laughs> come zither. Come zither for me, boy. Um, come Hans Zimmer. For come me. Hans Zimmer for me. Um, God, I, I forgot to write a note about the music, but we have to mention it. In fact, yeah, we should have mentioned it by now. The music by Jed Kurzel, Justin Kurzel's brother, is fucking amazing. <laughs> one of my favorite soundtracks possibly for any film ever it's the end song there oh yeah it was just so good oh yeah go and, go and listen to some of the soundtrack guys oh it's great it's just it's this very you've got the bagpipe kind of in there you've got the horns and the strings and it's all very chilling you know it's all very oh god and the action sequences are just amazing it's yeah really distinctive a brilliant soundtrack um but yeah sorry back to the dialogue the thing is about it is I think this is a really good demonstration of how you should treat Shakespearean language in a modern adaptation, which is that if you can't bank on your um, audience following it because they know Shakespeare, then you should make it into a kind of mood piece. And I think this is what this is, in which you can tell what's happening with these characters through performance. You know, the the, the words they're speaking are like just kind of expressions of that mood. So even if you don't yeah, understand definitely. the words, you should you get treat it. all Shakespeare that way, yeah, 100%. Because, you know, it's like it's it's like us trying to follow like i don't know early latin or something okay this isn't like three thousand years mm. ago but still like y- you have to appreciate that that's not how we talk now or sure. it's like us trying to speak another language it's, it's early modern english yeah so we're not going to understand everything that's going on when i i was just reading king lear the other day mm. and i didn't know everything that was going on sure. but if you try and kind of act it out a bit yeah. while you're reading it helps like if you if you read it out loud to yourself because then you can kind of make it yeah. its own thing. You can. And you can also just enjoy it as... It's like a verse. You know, it's gorgeous the way it sounds. And, you know, I can re- I remember um, our old English teacher reading part of the Canterbury Tales in Old English. And you didn't know what he was saying. But, my God, it sounded beautiful as he was saying it. And there's similar... There's um, bits of Russian poetry I've heard. Which, um, noticeably in Tarkovsky's film, The Mirror, there's a bit where a Russian poet... I think it's Tarkovsky's father actually reads a poem... And it just sounds so beautiful. I mean, all of Mirror is kind of like this. It's an art piece. It's yeah. kind of like, just washes over you. Exactly. You don't need to really understand Enjoy it. it sonically. I saw something that said, you know, it's like lyrics in a in a song. You know, you may not follow them all. You just enjoy the way they sound. Oh, I think the film has one fault for me. We don't need the opening text. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, no. We had this opening text yeah. that says like, "There's a battle going yeah, on." Yeah, there's two and, camps. And Scotland is fighting, and it's like, yeah, we know this is Macbeth. Like <laughs> the one thing that ever everyone knows about Macbeth is that like there's a war going on. In Scotland. And also, we'll just learn it in the first scene when they go to a battle. It's like I guess <laughs> yeah. there's a war going on. You know, they're on the way to a battle. Yeah. They're putting literal war paint on their faces. <laughs> that was a shame, but it does give you a chance to just listen to the music, so hard to complain. Um, we've had a couple of other films as well with an opening like that, haven't we? Oh, have we? I'm trying to think now. We have, yeah. Was it Tragedy? I don't know. Oh, maybe. But there was definitely a couple with, with like, Macbeth, there's a war going on in Scotland, and we were like, yeah, cool, whatever. Fuck, I'm going to have to go back and have a listen for that. Yeah, have a look. All right, let's get into some of these sequences then. So... They split up the Banquo sequence so that we get an extra scene between the two of them after the messengers have been, where the two of them yes. are sleeping kind of close together by a campfire. And it's an extra mm-hmm. little moment of them discussing the witches, which repurposes some of the dialogue from the two monologues that the two of them have in that moment. Do not hope your children shall be kings. When those that gave the Thane a cordor to me promise no less to them. That trusted home might yet enkindle you onto the crown besides Athena Calder. They have a little hug. They have a little hug. They have a little hug, and it's like, oh, they really are best friends. They are. And, okay, a moment of visual storytelling. They get back to camp. Banquo gets off his horse and hugs his kid. Macbeth gets his sword and goes goes to put it away. You know, Banquo has a kid. Macbeth has a sword. The, The closeness between Banquo and his son... Because also, in that funeral sequence, you can see Banquo, like, holding his son to him. It's like it's always in Macbeth's face that Banquo has a kid yeah. and is happy with his kid. And, you know, this prophecy... Look at me with my kid. <laughs> it's, you don't have a kid, but I've got a kid. Yeah, and it adds like a jealousy aspect, you know, like a frustration. You know, why did I have to lose my son? You know, it's, yeah, it, it's really quite interesting. Well, also because of the witch's prophecy as well. Yeah, absolutely. But that just like adds another level. It's like not only... I mean, it's kind of, even without the witch's prophecy, he knows that Banquo's you know, offspring is going to outlive him. Banquo has a legacy and Macbeth has none. He has a seedless crown, even if he becomes king. So yeah, it's just, it's just... He's got a play now. Yeah. (laughs) Now he's got a play and what does Banquo have? He's just a loser in two acts of my play. He's just Macbeth's best friend. friend. Um, Oh, okay. I've put a note to go to Trammel Up the Consequences now. So let's do the murder now. Uh, Do we see it? We sure do. Yes, we do. It's rough. It's very... It's very odd because mm. it's almost like the the murder is a vision he's having, as opposed to actually being there. And there's a couple of reasons for this. Firstly, he does it while he's soliloquizing. Yeah, it's very dreamlike. He wanders out. He's doing his, you know, is this a dagger I see before me? Which I don't know. Where, oh, I guess I'll notice. I'll mention that in visions. But yeah, we'll mention it in visions. But he does his is this a dagger I see before me thing, and then he just wanders into the camp straight from there. And it is very dreamlike. It does look like a vision. Yes. I am wondering if it's like a vision because mm. also, and I'm sure you're about to mention this, <laughs> um, he stays in the room with Duncan. He does. After he's dead, has a little lie down next yeah, to him. Yeah, after a vicious murder where he held his hand over the guy's mouth and like stabbed him and it's cross cut with horses going crazy. It was a rough yeah. murder. And yeah, he just lies it there. It was awesome. I loved it. <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah. as he's still like soliloquizing, uh-huh. Malcolm is there. Yeah, Malcolm comes in. Which I'm guessing is a vision. No, I don't think so. I think Malcolm does come or in. Or do you think it's actually there? Yeah, Malcolm, I think, comes in, finds the body. Because then why doesn't Malcolm say it was Macbeth? I saw it. Uh, he's too scared because um, we repurposed some of Macbeth's dialogue 
you know, in order to insinuate that Macbeth is going to, um, I mean, he first of all says, you know, that the two guards did it, but still it looks very suspicious. Yeah. He makes Malcolm think, incidentally, no Donald Bane, but he makes Malcolm think that um, yes. he's going to be Poor blamed Donald for Bain. this. And so he runs off uh, before anyone else knows about the murder, which, yeah, for me, it was very dramatic because it's like someone else saw him do it. You know, his shame is so complete that somebody else found But then he doesn't know, he doesn't tell Lady Macbeth or anything. It's not like really, like, I feel like, well, there's no if, dialogue I don't to know. tell Lady Macbeth. I feel like he should have set, told, you know, if that was a thing. Mm. It was really dramatic and I really liked mm. it, but I mean, I think it you could have had a line. Uh, well, you'd have to have written it and they've been reluctant to write whole lines. No, they've had a couple of words. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think it's, yeah, it, it was really interesting as it happened. Um, I liked it. And then LM, oh, sorry, yeah, Lady Macbeth, she comes back and sees the body, and you can see that that's the moment that kind of breaks her, that she's, you know, kind of keeping it together, then she goes back to the tent, sees uh, the murder. I don't think so. I no? think she's always been broken. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. She was, from the beginning, she's <laughs> so we'll frail. She's so frail and just, yeah. She sees the body, it's very dramatic. And then, after the next morning, and there's something about the fact that we cut to the next morning, you know, harsh daylight is now on this tent that previously we'd only yes. seen at night. The guards, uh, Macduff comes in, gets really angry, and then Macbeth kills the guards in front of everyone. It's not off screen, he, like, you know. He kills a lot of people in front he of He does, people. and everyone just kind of watches him do it, and then... Yeah, they're like, oh, okay, cool. Macduff is like, why did you do that? And, you know, a lot of versions show Macbeth shrink in that moment. You know, it's like, oh god, uh, I've got to try and justify myself here. But no, Macbeth squares off with Macduff and they have a proper beard-to-beard moment. (laughs) (laughs) Wherefore did you so? Hmm? Who could refrain? They had a heart to love. And in their heart, courage to make love known. Um, Macduff is really important in, well, in the whole of Macbeth, but in this one, it made me really think about it. Because one, you know, everyone in the play knows for sure that it wasn't Macduff that did it. Because he wasn't there. Yeah. He arrives at the camp. Yeah, yeah. Like, throughout the whole thing, he doesn't have anything really to gain. Hmm. He's just doing it because it's the right thing to do. Facing off against Macduff. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have anything to gain. He's not going to become king. Malcolm is going to become king. Yeah, he just wants... He doesn't really have any, like, titles. Maybe Macbeth's titles. But actually, he's just doing it because he's, like, devoted to Duncan and to Scotland. Yeah, to Scotland. I mean, most of the dialogue... That's why he's important. ...from that scene we don't like is um, about how much he loves (laughs) Scotland and about how, you know, he wants what's best for it and he's upset because Macbeth's reign is ruining Scotland. And that's mentioned in a few scenes that aren't here. In this, it very much tries to make it about... Yes, he has a sense of duty... But he's also, you know, revenge is the primary sort of motivator for him later on. Um, The conspiring, incidentally, is cut down to two scenes. We get some stuff at the funeral, which is actually taken from scene uh, from Act 4, I think. And we get, yeah, our our least favourite scene is mercifully short. Yeah, really short. It's like two lines long. Ross and Malcolm ride up together. So they're not, it's not a case that Macduff and Malcolm were already talking. They ride up together and they talk almost immediately about Macduff's family. So yeah, it makes sense. Um, One of the uh, monologues that we mentioned, which is now a dialogue sequence, is that Banquo tells his son about the prophecy, which makes so much sense later on. Yes. Because now Fleance has this burden of knowledge of his fate. But he's really, he's quite young in this he's one. He's very young. So he's like, he, he's maybe like, what, 10? Yeah, absolutely. So 
he's it's like he knows it but does he really know it like 10 year olds can't absorb this information like Mm. in the same way that a grown-up could true but so it's like he knows it but he also is still a kid yeah absolutely but we'll we'll see how that manifests when we talk about the end but um yes yeah for now banquo makes that a moment between him and his son and again just so many more moments with him and his son and the next one i want to talk about is that macbeth Macbeth says goodbye to Banquo, as he does in all versions, but in most versions, there's a party present. Lady Macbeth is there, everybody's there, and they're like, you know, oh, hence you ride hence, you know, and that's the last time they see each other. This time, they get a goodbye, and it's kind of intimate. It's on the beach, it's just him and Macbeth, and, you know, Fleance is nearby, but not close. And it, it, it's a proper moment where Macbeth knows that he's about to have his best friend killed, and they, they're saying goodbye to each other, and maybe even Banquo suspects it. It's very intense. Very intense, yeah. They had a another hug, man hug. <laughs> they do, they have a big old man hug. Um, another segment early, let's do He Needs Not Our Mistrust, because there are only two murderers. Most of the work is only done by one of them. Um, it's a forest-based assassination, and the little girl witch appears to help Fleance escape. Yeah, there's all sorts of differences there. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, What are the witches up to that they came to help Fleance run away? I think... I think in a lot of versions, mm. and maybe even in the play, the witches don't really like exist. They're like manifestations, yeah. and they kind of help fate along. They exist as fate. They're representative. So they're representative of like, yeah. you know, this this fateful journey that Macbeth is on. Yeah. Oof. So maybe they don't actually exist, but she's kind of there as a representation of like the next step in Macbeth's fateful journey. True. And that was a big step in this. And this is a big one for the cyclical nature of violence, very much like the tragedy of Macbeth was. So, of course, Fleance is going to escape because, of course, the children always do and they will are destined to continue the cycle of violence as a result. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe that's what that represents. Um, I love the banquet in this one. It's very big, very well attended and very formal. Yes, it is. It's very, like, Downton Abbey. It is, it? yeah, the servants and, like, <laughs> people in costumes. And that makes Macbeth losing his shit so much worse. You know, this mm. isn't, like, just a dinner table with a few close friends around it. This is a, a function where the king yeah, needs to be doing something. Ones... What was the one where we had all the, like, whores? All the... Oh, we had all the whores, you know, like oh, the, yeah. sitting on people's laps. Which one was that? Which one had that was very like party. it was easy to think that he had been drunk on lots of ale. It wasn't the Verdi, was it? That was the Verdi. It was the Verdi. Yeah, it was the Verdi. Well, that's typical Verdi. You know, all Italian operas Loves have a, a scene where a bunch of prostitutes show up. <laughs> and then during Macbeth being crazy, Macduff just ups and leaves. And I think it's a big point that Macduff is usually not present during the banquet because then. You know, Macbeth is like, where was he? And, you know, she's like, did you send for him? In this, he's there with his whole family and he gets up and he leaves whilst Macbeth is losing his shit. And that's, that's what I'm saying. Macbeth is more important than you think he yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's the good guy. He is. He's like the hero. Because right at the end, after he's managed to kill Macbeth, spoilers, he, um, <laughs> he, looks, <laughs> he looks towards Malcolm and says, you know, you're the king of Scotland. You know, he doesn't he's try like, and take hey, it to himself. Exactly, yeah. That's what I'm saying. He's not doing it to be king. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Macduff doesn't abandon his family in this one. He sends them off, and unfortunately not quite well enough because they get captured oh, and burned at God. the stake. Burned at the stake. Grim. And there's this horrible bit where Lady Macbeth looks at the kids and they look at her yep. and they lock eyes. And I was like, oh, this is horrific, she is re- but I kind of want to see it. <laughs> she is now responsible for kids dying. And like, the whole village is there like watching yeah. Macbeth burn them at the stake. And really brilliantly. And it's horrific. 
there's a moment where Macbeth, uh, Lady Macbeth tries to talk Macbeth out of it. And we repurpose some of her sleepwalking scene in order to have a moment of her saying, hell is murky, what, what is done cannot be undone, as like a warning to Macbeth, like, you've got to stop this now, otherwise you'll have gone too far. But he, do- he doesn't listen. Yeah, and they repurposed, well, not repurposed, mm. but they've got um, Lady Macduff, some of Lady Macduff's dialogue. Yeah, it is, yeah. Oh, God, it's grim. Um, that was grim. That's the first time I think we've had burning at the stake. Yeah. <laughs> but there, it is like a legit medieval sure. death thing. Absolutely. It's not like they took something crazy and made it and also mm. and this probably wasn't what they were thinking but it ties in <laughs> to the fact that there are witches in this movie oh, because yeah. um it, the reason that that macbeth is is uh not said in the theater as a word yeah is because it was often not played back in um shakespearean times because they didn't like that the fact that witches existed in this because they were afraid of witches so they were literally afraid of the play because it had witches oh, I didn't in it realize that was the reason yeah so huh. it's like a whole like circular thing of like witches burning at the stake etc yeah absolutely and it's it, it also shows the hypocrisy of Macbeth that he's actively seeking counsel with one group of witches while sort of punishing a, uh, an innocent bunch of people as witches elsewhere um speaking of grim Macbeth <laughs> comes in, the doctor is there, Lady Macbeth is in the bed, and he's like, can you cure her, doctor? Can you remedy me of all these English? Oh, I'm such a chummy kind of guy. Anyway, can you cure her? Oh, she's dead. Like, she's already dead at that yeah, point. Yeah, she's already dead. And he's like, she should have died here after. Yeah, and then he goes into his tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, and he picks up Lady Macbeth and is like walking around the room with her, and it's yes. just really sad. Almost like a kind of dance. Yeah. With her. And, you know, the handmaid, the sort of her attendant is like crying and uh it's really quite a scene and then Duntonane burns um this is a really clever way i think of having yes I the love forest this. come to the castle they burn it and the smoke billows in and the ash pours down and that's the forest coming to the castle and he's like oh it's coming towards me yeah, like, yeah. Kind of thing. absolutely um so it's not like i think they probably did this because it is quite silly yeah like, cutting down a tree and then walking kurosawa did it well (laughs) he's the only one who did it well (laughs) the actual (laughs) cutting down of trees and walking with them let's not forget joe Macbeth. what did joe Macbeth do yeah he did he did the tree thing oh god did he did he have people hold tree carry trees did he not i can't remember i'm thinking the wrong one i've seen so many films now i'm mixing them (laughs) i'm only thinking who was the one who had the logging company truck smash through the door oh my god that was so silly (laughs) i think that was um was that the men of respect men of respect was it or was it that other um was there another mob one it was virum yeah there was three right yeah i don't i don't know it's all oh my god it's all blowing together we're gonna have to watch all of these again (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> never again um okay so finally and we've seen this a number of times Macbeth essentially wins the fight but then when he finds out about the cesarean thing he kind of consents to fate taking him out almost yeah. as if he was just doing it he was only like everything has come true so that's the last yeah. one to come true and he and wants because it. that's the last one he's like oh this is it like... yeah and he kind of wants it at that stage he's lost everything you know and he just lets um Macduff slice him open can I say one more thing uh, I forgot to say about sure. Lady Macbeth's death? Uh-huh. Um, she sees the witches. She does. That's very interesting. We never had that before. But So we have this sequence, which I love, where Lady Macbeth, in order to do her sleepwalking monologue, leaves the castle and goes back to the cathedral where presumably her child was christened before it died. 
um, and she has this horrible, sad scene inside of this cathedral. And then as she leaves, presumably to go back to the castle, or potentially to kill herself, she sees the witches, and it's the last thing we see her do while yeah, she's alive. it's just like a glance, but it's almost like because she's um, on the, her way towards death yeah. or whatever, she sees, like, fate. Yeah. And almost like she's going to join them. Yeah. Because she's got her hair down, it's all tousled, and I actually would have loved it if she'd become one of the witches. <laughs> Ocular style, she's sort of in the window with them. She's Yeah, just like, <laughs> she's become like, some sort of other thing yeah anyway i thought that was uh, great the way she mm. she doesn't engage with them there's no like language but it's just yeah like a little oh i see them i see fate yeah. fate is calling that's me it isn't it of. yeah Macbeth has been obsessed with death this whole time and at the end you know just before the Macbeth sees it um it becomes part of it she sees them well let's speak about some ghosts then because we have ghosts throughout Macbeth is a man who has ghosts um mm-hmm couple of particular ghosts yeah he's the ghost boy he keeps seeing who is not is obviously a sort of manifestation of his own son you know the way he reacts to him when he sees um him in the battlefield is clear that he sort of sees him as like a son yeah but also his it's his trauma of war in general yep um brilliantly the dagger scene um we've talked about physical daggers but here the boy appears and holds the dagger before him you know to him and yeah it's just uh, amazing he sees Banquo, and it's a fairly subdued Banquo. It's, mm, it's got the, he's got the war paint on, so it's actually a yeah. war Banquo as opposed That's to a murder true, Banquo. true, yeah. All of his ghosts are, you know, from the war. It's, uh, yeah. Uh. Then when he goes for a second prophecy, he's given a tincture to drink, which we've seen before, and he drinks it, and he sees an army of dead soldiers and the ghost boy again. Yes. Who sort of come out towards him. And the ghost boy delivers the line of the prophecy. Yeah, it gives him the sort of final warning, so... Yeah, some pretty spooky, but also very melancholy ghosts. Not necessarily played for horror, but more for sort of um, chills. A couple more segments. Ross's poker face nun. It seems very truncated. None, they cut the line. They cut the line, yes. When one of them, you know, when he asks, how is he my family? He just full on tells him, yeah. your family is dead. How does my wife, your castle is surprised, your wife and babes, savagely slaughtered? Which is exactly how Ross should do it. Like, they thought... Yeah. This is what I'm saying. They thought about every single thing. They thought, <laughs> um, why is this guy avoiding the subject? Yeah. He should tell this man that his family is dead. Let's just cut the line. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, we've lost the port of speech. It's maybe, this isn't necessarily a film for comedic relief. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. I thought, <laughs> you know, if, if they're going to cut anything, it's probably going to be port of speech because it's not, this yeah. is in no way a comedy. <laughs> um, a few more points on language. Um, okay, first time I've noticed that she... Lady Macbeth uses the phrase, um, she's talking about the guards and how they're going to be drunk, and she's like, um, obviously everybody's going to blame them, the spongy officers. <laughs> That's amazing. Because they soak up drinks. They're, <laughs> they're so spongy, because they're just like so, so crap and limp. <laughs> um, the line full of scorpions is my mind is just amazing in this. It really stood out because of Fassbender's delivery and his big smile that he gives afterwards, and it's just full on crazy. <laughs> Scorpions is my mind. I, w- I would say the one line that didn't stand out for Ooh. me, and it's a very important line, is the um, the line. What I can't remember the exact line. You'll correct me, I'm sure. Oh. The line of Duncan's not gonna go tomorrow. Like he's like the Lady Macbeth line. Oh, never shall like, that Morris see, he see, uh, see or something like that. And when goes hence? Tomorrow, as he purposes. Oh, never shall send that Morrow see. Yeah, and she does it very, like, subduedly. She does. And it's like, you need to 
think about you need to yeah. like have a th- a face where you realize it you know yeah i was curious about that scene this time i paid more attention to it because later on she says you know i would have smashed my baby's brains out if i if i had sworn to do so as you had sworn to this and so i decided to watch that scene more closely he doesn't really swear to do it at any stage no, he doesn't. No, she's like, okay, never. He he'll never see tomorrow. You know, he's she's not going to go anywhere. She's guilt tripping him. She's doing a classic she girlfriend guilt trip. <laughs> like, um, you said you were going to do the washing up. No, no, no. You might not have actually said it, but I cooked, <laughs> so it's actually your job to do the no. washing up. Like that kind of like guilt tripping. And thing. that's how you ended up. That's how your boyfriend ended up killing the king. Well, she was like, look, I said that you should kill him, whether or not you like agree to it or not that's just implied he literally said we shall talk on this further and i think that's the only encouragement he gives to the to the fact that he's gonna go along with this oh but no he says so this is uh, in the, that scene uh-huh. he agrees to it after they have sex Ooh. so it's a sex scene did you not notice the sex i didn't scene? notice the sex scene i noticed a saucy scene later on it was definitely a sex scene. Oh god, I, I wrote that it was seductive. To it I saw... Just after he's ejaculated. Oh my god! So don't agree to anything after you've ejaculated. Did you have the uncut version of this film? Did you have the Playboy Maybe. version again? <laughs> again? Oh no! Okay, a line we've said before because we've often talked about how before other versions of Macbeth have tried to give further motivation than ambition. They've you know had him be scared of his position, or they've had him in a sort of shitty position that he doesn't want to be in. In the, I. I of course there's this line because i remember this line from when i was a kid it's one of the first shakespearean lines that really stood out to me as a really elegant way of putting something so relatable the line is no spur to prick the sides of my intent but only vaulting ambition you know the only thing i've got the only reason i've got to do this is ambition is all i've got here but in this version it's very much the idea that ambition is all he's got left because he hasn't got his kid or any sort of legacy so that yeah. this kingship is the only thing that he has that can sort of replace the fact that he is seedless now. Um, okay, let's talk about the last yeah. shot, which possibly might be one of the most striking images I've seen in one of these films. Yes. Fleance. It's very- so we have Fleance. I, yeah. My favourite ending to Macbeth, as you know, is when there's a Fleance. There, there is a Fleance. And he finds a sword. I think it's meant to be Macbeth's sword. It might be Macduff's. I think so, yeah. I think it's Macbeth's it's sword. It's definitely a battle sword. Meanwhile, whilst he finds this sword, we have Malcolm taking up his father's sword, the king's sword, in the um, cathedral. We're seeing this at the same time. They're both picking up swords. And then Malcolm strides towards the door. He's king of Scotland at the moment, but Fleance is destined to become king, and he's running. Fleance is sprinting into the mist with this ominous sound of drumming sort of echoing around him and he gradually disappears into the red mist and we cut to black and that's the movie yeah i mean that's it's also because we had the scene where malcolm saw the murder yeah he's probably like really nervous now he's king yeah he knows he knows what happens to kings he knows what happens so, to his dad yeah two kings have died in the, the yeah this one hour and a half like <laughs> yeah absolutely and it, it very much implies you know, this is gonna. This is not a happy ending. This is gonna keep on going. It's a cyclical yeah. nature of violence and then grief and trauma and how those kind of beget more and that's violence. That's why we should abolish the monarchy. Everyone. That's why we need to abolish the monarchy, everyone. But also abolish dead kids. Encourage people to talk to each other more. Just talk. Just talk. Guys. If if Lady just Macbeth talk. and Macbeth had just sat down and been like, okay, what's this really about? Then go to therapy. <laughs> yeah, 
Even if you don't think you need therapy, I promise you, you need therapy. <laughs> oh my god, there is a podcast of, like, one of us being a therapist and the other is, like, a Shakespearean character. Oh my god, let's do it! <gasps> <gasps> we can switch that, like, if I was, I'll be the therapist and you'll be my yeah. and then we'll switch and I'll be, like, um, you know, like Desdemona or something. Or Ophelia really needed someone to talk to. Ophelia needed therapy so bad. <laughs> it's not worth it, love. Okay. All right, let's talk about what bloody man is that. We're on Michael Fassbender. Oh my God. Yeah. He's here in double trust. First as I am his kinsman and his subject, strong both against the deed, then as his host, who should against his murderer shut the door and not bear the knife myself. Um, yeah, he was really <laughs> great as Macbeth. He was, he was very, like, subdued in the beginning, very, mm. like, calm, very warrior-like. Yeah. And then as soon as like the murder happened, he was crazy. Yeah. He was like power hungry and he was like insane. Yeah. And he got more and more insane. Yeah. And his face got less and less Michael Fassbender-y. Like he had blood and mud and like... <laughs> just grim like, determination. Just, oh, yeah. And yeah. he was just, he was really great. He delivered his lines in this very like different ways depending on the different part of the film. Yeah. And he's in the scottish accent obviously <laughs> yeah um and he's hot he's hot he's incredibly love, hot and i love him <laughs> mainly is yeah he was amazing and yeah just little moments of his madness like him the fact that he goes out to get the second prophecy riding out nearly naked and like a bed sheet just um across this incredibly barren yes. wild looking scottish moor like, what is he doing put some pants on <laughs> it's just it um, sells the idea of his, him going crazy because that's immediately after a sequence articulating insomnia which is him running around his chamber just like walking wandering doing laps and then just stood staring out of a window as the sun rises in like fast sped up motion it was really good mm. it really it was like a danny boyle impression of craziness for a second and i really like the him at the beginning being like mm. this kind of worry and the way that he was really devoted to all of his men in the in the army yeah so he's putting yeah. their like makeup on for him and he was holding one guy as he died yeah then that's the guy he soliloquizes to and he yeah. was like you know saving the little boy and yeah. so he's like a dedicated soldier yeah to men. because there's such a sadness between him and Lady Macbeth, that you get the impression he's more at home with his sort of brothers and the other soldiers because he and Lady Macbeth share this horrible tragedy and he doesn't know how to work past that. Because he's just a, and also, just a soldier. Sometimes we talk about his face when he becomes yeah. Thane of Cordor. And this was so subtle. It wasn't mm. like... <gasps> <laughs> it wasn't Toshio Mifune. had some where they, they look, he looks at Banquo and he's like jaw drop yeah it's like, oh my god throne of blood and this one was so subtle you can see like subtly he's like oh shit yeah absolutely there was it was very subtle and another subtle moment actually and i forgot i made a note of this actually because you mentioned the line earlier when she does say never shall that morrow see i.e you know he's never gonna leave here we're gonna kill him uh, we, we're not seeing Macbeth. We're seeing La lady Macbeth as that line is said Macbeth is stroking her face affectionately and just using his hand, he articulates the pause after that line of just, mm. oh shit, you know, I don't know how to feel about that, but maybe. Um, and that's, that's yeah, great hand acting. He just, he was so wounded throughout, even when yeah. he's mad. You just he definitely get, had like PTSD. Yeah, even when he's crazy and running into battle, you just see him as this damaged kind of guy. It was, yeah, really, really something. Hold, brief candle. 
Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Okay, uh, Serpent Under It, we have got Marion Cotillard as Lady Macbeth. How do we find her? I think she's one of my favourite Lady Macbeth yeah. so far. Will these hands now be clean? No more of that, my lord. No more of that. You mar all with this tardy. Here's the smell of the blood still. All the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. Wash your hands. Put on your nightgown. Look not so pale. To bed. To bed. Didn't bother me about the accent. Nope. Even though it was like she did put on a bit of a British accent, it was more just like she just toned down her own. Yeah, toned down. But she didn't tone it down so much that you didn't know it was Marianne Cotillard. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like she's got a very distinctive voice. Yeah, definitely. She is kind of crazy throughout, which I think is my favourite way to play Lady Macbeth because we have the grief element. Mm. So she's grieving for the lost baby and that basically she's waiting for something to make her snap. Yeah. So she's got this underlying grief and, and madness yeah. throughout the whole thing and then something snaps and then she goes completely insane but she's already kind of crazy. Yeah. And that's the best way to play her, I think, because otherwise the craziness doesn't really make It comes fun. out of nowhere. Yeah, we've seen that yeah. plenty of times. Yeah, it's just I loved her. I thought she was yeah. great. She had some really great scenes. She had the scene in the cathedral, so she's kind of yeah. turned to God for... Yeah. For some sort of guidance after this grief, which is a lot of what people do. Mm. She sees like a vision of a, a baby boy at one point. Yep. She sees the witches, which is new. Her scene where she's on the moor and she's in a nightgown, her hair is flowing and she's like, you know, about to go commit suicide was beautiful and yeah. Yeah. She was awesome. It was incredible. She's very intense. And she's really hot as well. She is also she's really hot as well. <laughs> also. Also a factor. <laughs> You know, it's a very abrupt change to have her go from bravura, you know, you should kill this guy, into the quiet madness that characterizes the sleepwalking scene. And we've seen some Lady Macbeth try to go all strong, like even the madness is a kind of like manic strength. Marion Cotillard goes the other way, where it's this, again, there's such damaged people at the Macbeths. And she is the Macbeths. The Macbeths. <laughs> Welcome to the Macbeth household. Yeah, oh, we've got dinner at the Macbeths tonight. Oh, God. God, really? Do we have to? <laughs> I hope he... One of us might not come back. I hope he hasn't got any ghosts also at the table, because that was really awkward last time. Um, yeah, she just... She has... Even her trying to inspire him to murder is this sad kind of plea. You know, let's do something. Let's try and take control of our destiny, because it's just so unbearable right now. And as soon as the actual night happens, she then becomes... She's trying to pull it back. She becomes the good conscience to Macbeth. Um... When he explains his plan to kill Banquo, they repurpose a line which is, you must leave this. Who knows that Banquo and his fiance lives? You must leave this. Previously said when Macbeth won't shut up about his own guilt. You know, in the play, he keeps talking about how guilty he feels and Lady Macbeth says, you must leave this. Here, Macbeth starts talking about murdering Banquo and the fact that that needs to be done. You know, the serpent's scorched, but not dead. It'll turn and get us again. Um, and she says, you must leave this, meaning you've got to stop this. You can't keep the murdering people. 
you know, to remain king. And then, as already mentioned, she says it again when he's going after the Macduffs. Hellas, Marky. What's done cannot be undone. Stir the country round. Hang those that talk of fear. She tries to pull it back, but he is too far gone, and now she is completely alone, and that's when she goes fully mad, and it just makes so much sense. Her sleepwalking scene is one of the strongest parts of the film, because of the way it's lit, because of her performance, because of the production going on around her. She's so vulnerable and frail in that moment, and she's delivering the speech to a vision of her dead son playing in the light while she is in the shadow. So the baby was like a baby when it was dead, and this is like a toddler son. Yeah, it was a little toddler. So it's it's like it's almost like the time that has passed yeah. in in the play has has grown mm. the grief baby kind of does that make sense? <laughs> grown the grief baby. That's the name of my new album. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> we're grown the gr- gr- oh, grown the grief baby. It's really hard to pronounce. Nobody books us. Seriously, I, I had a real trouble just then. I just <laughs> said it. It's not selling well, but yeah, that's that's Marion Cotillard. She's amazing. Um. Okay, so weirdest sister. We've got Scottish witches. I didn't mention earlier, actually, it's lovely to hear this dialogue in sh- in Scottish accents. Yeah. Most people, apart from Marianne Courtyard, yeah. have Scottish accents. Absolutely. And the messenger who comes to tell Macbeth that he is now Fane of Cawdor is like this little Scottish youth and just him talking this dialogue. Oh, oh. It's so great. And everyone did bear thy praises in his kingdom's great defence and poured them down before him. I must send to give thee from our royal master thanks. For an earnest of a greater honour, he bade me from him call thee Thane of Cawdor. Treason's capital confessed and proved of overthrown him. Murder. The word murder in Scottish is the best. Murder. Everyone should say murder. Murder. It's so good. <laughs> um, so yeah, we have Scottish witches. When shall we three meet again? In thunder, lightning, or in rain? When the hurly burly's done. When the battle's lost and won. Where the place? Upon the battlefield. They are to meet with Macbeth. Fair is foul. And foul is fair. Three witches, a little girl, and a baby. So it's kind of like a witch family. Yeah, it's kind of like... Well, because they're in this one, like kind of representations of fate, yeah. it's like they're representing the generation. Yeah, you've got one old lady on her own, a middle-aged woman with a, a little girl or often around, and then a younger woman with a baby. It's like a life cycle. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And some of them have facial scars, which is like yeah. a tribal scarring kind of thing, which kind of makes them feel more ancient, maybe a bit more Pictish. Yeah, they weren't like um, super scary in this one. They were more like sad. Yeah. yeah, like you say, I think they weren't really beings who had a will and an agency of their own. They just represent observers and um, manifestations of what is definitely going to happen just because of the way things work and the way these people are. And you kind of have more of that when you have a, a that's that one line where Macbeth's like, did you see the weird sisters go past? And yeah. that man's like, no. Yeah. What are you on about? <laughs> and he says something interesting there. He says something like, curse the man who believes them, and then continues to act fully believing them. It's very odd. That's in the play. <laughs> he gives uh, They give Macbeth a tiny vision of his future with the crown, like, as they say, you will be king, yes, he like sees that. it, yeah. adding legitimacy to their, you know, what they're saying. Um, Banquo says nothing to them. He doesn't, you know, in the play, he does most of the talking to the witches, because Macbeth kind of stands back. But... He says what, he has that one line, he, yeah. like... Talk, but tell me what does he does he say tell me 
What's in yeah, my future? Does. Oh, right. Okay. He... Yeah, but only that one line. Yeah. Most of it's cut. It's interesting. That way, Macbeth is very much the one doing most of the talking. You know, stay, you imperfect speakers, you know. Yeah. The rest of it. And like we said, Lady Macbeth sees them too, which is unusual. Well, I guess we're at conclusion time. This might be my favourite one. It's a pretty strong contender. It's a very strong contender. For, for a straight Macbeth, also, yeah. I think it has the advantage of having had all these adaptations come before it. Mm. And um, being able to pull influence from those adaptations. And also, somebody sat down, I, should, I want to meet this person, went mm. through Macbeth and thought, you know, this line could be moved. Yeah, it's it like... it make more sense. It was so natural. It was almost as if they were like, okay, I want this to happen. How can I do it with, you know, the dialogue that's here? And they just kind of drew yeah. it together. And it was seamless. There was nothing that felt awkward or... You know, we've had various, um, like, oh, I just remembered um, Dunsinane Woods' shipping thing. That was uh, the Australian 2006 Macbeth. Uh, yes, that was it. Yeah, right. And that had sequences where they wanted to put in a scene, but they didn't have any dialogue to do it. So they just had people standing around silently and it felt weird. Yeah, no, this one, they just took dialogue from other places. Exactly. But not like so far away that it wasn't mm. realistic. Yeah, it all felt just, it, this feels like Macbeth. This is the story. But it's incredibly modern. It's yeah, and a whole new way of looking at things in a very in a way that's very relatable and feels fresh. Well, like in a way, I've seen a couple of actual adaptations of Shakespeare mm. on stage. Yeah, sure. Where I've seen one all's well that ends well, where they're in an office. All oh, right. And then the office becomes a wood by raising the the desks up to the ceiling. All oh, right. <laughs> and so it is all's well that ends well, but it's in a modern setting, and they yeah. made it seamless. You know. Yeah. And yet this is not in a modern setting, it's in its medieval setting, and yet feels modern. It yeah. feels like a new story. Well, it and... might have been As You Like It, actually. <laughs> right. <sighs> I get those two mixed up. Blah. Well, yeah, so in conclusion, we love this. <laughs> yes, we thought this was great. Great. Okay, Charm Life, Katie Shakespeare fact, what have you got for us? Okay, this is where Katie has trouble, uh -oh. because I wanted to do this one, but it has a very odd pronunciation thing so mm. i'm gonna absolutely fumble this <laughs> so basically william shakespeare has a very long word that he uses in lovers labors lost oh yeah and i'm gonna try uh -oh. and pronounce this word are you ready <laughs> okay this is long like anti-disestablishmentarianism long oh my god so i'm really sorry about this pronunciation <laughs> it's honorific abilutu dinitatibus I want to have a go at this. Honorific, <laughs> honorific, abilutu dinateu tabius. Got it. Okay. All in one word. <laughs> and um, the Collins English Dictionary definition of the word is invincible, glorious, honourableness. Right. So that is the longest word in Shakespeare. Excellent. And it's in Lovers Labour Source, and it's in the dictionary. <laughs> So if anybody needs a word for invincible, glorious, honourableness, yeah. please use that word. <laughs> I'm going to have a, a stab at it for the first time in my life. Honorific cool. abilitude tabtibus. I slowed down at the end. I was, I was doing all right. Yeah, you did it way better than I did. Honorific, honorific abilitude tabtibus. It sounds like it should end tudinous. Like if it was a modern word, I feel like it would be something like honorific abilitudinous. But, um... Wow, that was really good. <laughs> But um, it's bus instead. I think we both need to practice. <laughs> but there you go. Yeah, Feel fantastic. free to use that in your everyday language. Whenever it seems appropriate. So, 
Um, fantastic. How can people find out about Katie's honorific abilitudiness? Ness. Ness, ness. <laughs> um, bus, not nurse. Bus. They can go to katiewritesbelt.com and read all of my awesome reviews about stuff. They can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at katiewritesbelt. And they can listen to my other podcast, Have You Ever Heard Of?, which is a history podcast. And coming up on Monday, we'll be talking about Puyi, the last emperor of China. Hmm. What about you, Paul? Uh, Well, from me, you can uh, stay here on Screen Mayhem and listen to some other stuff. Read reviews. We've got a review of the film Proxima going up shortly, which I just saw with Katie. So find out what I thought about that. And I usually mention Katie's opinion at the end as well. So I'll do that (laughs) in a little footnote. Katie also liked it. (laughs) Katie was there. Katie was there. Yeah, back in cinemas now. This is my first cinema trip. So hopefully there'll be more cinema reviews coming up soon. And also you can go to OGD Pod and listen to all the good things that are happening over there. We're about to have a member of the Baby Beard Media team over again in order to discuss the fabulous 90s monster movie Anaconda. I'd forgotten how much fun it is, so come and have a listen to that. Um, yeah, and I think that's just about it. And then you can come back here, because next week we are covering Viram, the Indian epic historical drama adaptation of Macbeth that looks like 300. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we'll see... And that'll that be the last one before... Well, we'll have one other one, one, the green screen one. Ah, yes. The 2018 screen, green screen one. And then we are into our best ofs. So until then, away and... Oh, I didn't write it down. Mark the time with... Mark the time with Ferris show, False Face Must Hide What the Heart Doth Know. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.